to you. The only thing I will say is, let's try and keep it a little bit short so that we can get to lots of people instead of sharing the whole story about your friend and, and going to Starbucks and he said this and I said this. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, just like 6,000 year old So I was going to say in the introduction, I'm not going to creationism. <laughs> because, because it's such a big topic and because there's other resources on it, let's just leave that one for another night. But thank you, that is the big, that's the elephant in the room. I mean, that's the big one. Um, but it's too big for what we're doing now. Yeah? Why is uh, state and religion separate while the Muslim terms isn't the sons of the Bible? What was the last bit that you said? The Muslims tend to, the Sharia law brings the governing body as a top of the together. Yeah. State and religion are together with Muslims. Well, yes. It's not, but why is it good? Why is it better? Yeah, why is it better? Because now you see like the secular world coming in and the whole world. Yeah, no, that's, that is a very interesting question because um, I'm denominationally confused, but part of my heritage is Mennonite, which believes in a complete separation of church and state. So Christians don't go to army, they're not police officers, depending on who you ask, they don't even vote completely. The kingdom of this world is not the kingdom of heaven. Um, but the logical consequence of that is that that necessitates a secular government. Because yeah. if Christians aren't in government, who is? Either we're asking another religion to do it, or we're asking for a secular government. So that's where some Christians will say, well, maybe we should run for office, um, but, but we're going to try and create a secular state. And this is what um, more or less has been, been established in the West, is a secular state. But then that secular state becomes a monster that kind of takes over and tries to push religion out. So it's a very difficult question. Um, but you ask, why is it better? I think, I think when you look it at history, it would seem better to be like what the Sharia was doing in the government. It would seem better. We tried it, yeah. you know, with Constantine in the three hundreds, four hundreds. You know, we tried it, and it worked really good. Don't believe people that say as soon as Constantine came, everything fell apart. It didn't. It worked really good for six hundred years. It got us through the dark, the darkest of the dark ages. What happened was the Crusades came along, and as Islam was attacking, and two-thirds of the Roman Empire was um, taken over by Islam, and finally the Christians said, we need to do something, and so then this, this Christian uh, state became militarized, and started pushing back with the, the first Crusade, and that brought huge changes with the church in the West, and it became a very dark thing. So then you the late middle, uh, medieval period, the high medieval period, it, it, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's why we needed a reformation. It's because it, it, it corrupted the church. It, it, and so yes, it seems like a good idea. I mean, it, it, it was a good idea in a sense. Uh, but the end result, the, in uh, Re Revelation there's a story about... Um, how there's, there's a beast, and the beast is the state, and there's a harlot who is the church. And, and the harlot rides on the beast until the beast eventually d destroys and eats the harlot. And that has tended to be the story of history as the church has tried to control government, sooner or later the government takes over. Um, that is a big issue. And I, I honestly don't know what the right answer is. Uh, but it seems as though a separation of church and state he at least maintains the purity of the church, which is the most important thing. Yeah, go ahead. So, 
just looking at history, looking at the world, well, historically or even now, how is it that some nations seem to be blessed, at least materially? A question about the Old Testament, which is our subject for tonight. Yeah. Which God says? tells um, Moses uh, to say to the Egyptian leaders that Moses has been sent to take um, the Israelites on a three-day trip. Yeah, that's so interesting, eh? To worship God. But that wasn't God's plan. Yeah. So how do you answer that? Because it looks like... It looks like God is being deceptive. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I've, I've wondered that too. Okay. Because at the beginning God says, yeah, just we're just going to take a vacation. Yeah, let's go on a vacation. Yeah. yeah. What comes to mind just right now is I wonder if God was giving something very small to show, like this is a, a legitimate request to say, let, just let us go in the wilderness to have a little bit of vacation and come back. But Pharaoh wasn't even ready to do that. Right. And finally at the end he said, go and don't come back. Right. So through that process, he didn't actually ask for like Moses was never asking for his people to be released. He, he was just asking to go for a vacation. And eventually it was Pharaoh that said, get out of here. Right. So that's just an option. But I don't actually know. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting question. Yeah. The 613 rules. Yeah. And 10 of those we call the Decalogue. The ethical? No, there would be more. Sort of the Decalogue? The yeah, the Decalogue is kept. Even today's yeah. you know, Uh, um, you're not understanding quite right if you think that the only moral commandments are the ten. Well, yeah, and I never used to have the other ones to know the moral. That's yeah. Not the okay, this three-part distinction um, is um, people will critique it because when you get to fine points, like like in general, it makes sense, but when you get to fine points, it gets a little bit hard to say which one is ethical, which one is moral, which one is ceremonial. There is a little bit of overlap. Um, but it's still, in fact, in summary, what I was told is that it's an arbitrary system. It was invented by John Calvin, by the way. Although people before that kind of followed something like this. Uh, it's an arbitrary system and we should just reject the whole thing. The, the verses I've shown you here, I think, show that something like that is happening in, in the Old Testament. Because clearly Paul says circumcision is out. If you are circumcised, which was kind of a big deal in the Old Testament, right? Circumcision... Abrahamic covenant, you know, Moses, all that stuff. It was a big deal. And, and Paul says, if you are circumcised, you have fallen from grace. And um, you've missed it. And yet, he was very quick to say, if, if you have joined yourself to a prostitute, you become one flesh with her. Shall Christ then be joined to a prostitute? So, he's saying, circumcision, out. Sexual ethics, in. And so he's making this distinction... And if it's not this three-part system, find me a better one. But I agree with you that at some point it is a little bit difficult to know, you know, which one is in, which one is out. Uh, especially when you talk about maybe the consequences of it. Um, the Sabbath. The Sabbath. Yeah, that's a great one because that's the only of the Ten Commandments that isn't specifically repeated in the New Testament. Um, but clearly the principle of Sabbath is still there, even though we don't 
you know, religiously or legalistically keep one day a week. Um, but the principle is there that we as Christians should take one day a week. Um, and I'm sure that you're teaching young pastors that, that you'll burn out, as I, as I did two years ago, um, if you don't take a Sabbath. Uh, so the principle is there. And, um, um, but it, it can be difficult to know exactly which ones work and which ones don't. And that's where the differences in denominations come in. And there's, there are essential and non-essential doctrines too in the Bible. And there's some things that are more clear and less clear. Some things that are more important and less important. Uh, and that's where we can agree to disagree with some people because you look at scriptures and you're like, I, I can see how we can agree to disagree on this issue. Are there other questions? That time, two or three Why so many plagues? <laughs> Why so many plagues? And, and we usually get the question, you know, what does it mean God hardened his heart? Yeah, yeah. You're going to get me into Calvin and Arminius, aren't you? No. 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 It's in Bible. <laughs> You're talking specifically about the plagues on Egypt? Well, I think, I mean, if you look at how many times the pagan nations, the non-Jewish nations, referred back to his mighty deliverance, I think that is why God, God chose to do ten plagues, a big number, not just for the Jews, but in the area. Ten is very symbolic. got ten fingers. Basis of counting right there. All of them. God hit them with all of them. Um, and, and it was a mighty display of his power. And yes, he did harden Pharaoh's heart because he wanted to give a mighty display of his power. That was talked about. And, you know, as the Israelites were coming into uh, to the promised land, um, the people were quaking with fear. This is the people that God, their God smote you know, the, the Egyptians with, with a great hand. And when, um, in Judges, when they lost the Ark, and then the, the Philistines had the Ark of God, and then plagues started coming on them, they said, these are the, or no, sorry, when the Ark was being brought to the Israelite camp, the Philistines were trembling with fear because they said, this is the God that smote the Egyptians, and now they're fighting against us. So I think that it was um, a way of demonstrating his power. Uh, and we're still talking about it today. You know, it still comes up in movies um, uh, about you know the ten plagues of God and, and uh, what was that movie uh, uh, Mummy back and it's already old. My movie references are already <laughs> ten years old. Um, the issue of, of hardening, yeah, I'm just going to leave Calvin Arminius out of this for now. But uh, that's that's a, another difficult question of God hardening his heart, but he hardened his heart too. And so there's kind of this back and forth. He's got free will. God is sovereign. Somehow they work together, and you can land all sorts of places on the map is, is figuring out how exactly that works. Yeah. I'm having fun. You haven't stopped me yet. <laughs> Although I've punted on at least one. <laughs> yeah.
can't, then as you mentioned, God is not like us. Yeah. God is transcendent yeah. from us. So, but uh, I suppose if we start with that, that God is good and He does everything for His glory, then yeah. we shouldn't be questioning. Thank you so much. Even though we don't understand some of the things. That yeah. And, and God's glory is different. This gets into another issue. Is Why does God do everything for His glory? Is God an egomaniac? Is God vain? Is God like... Like why... Why should we worship a God that is so self-centered and self-focused when in another human being we would not consider this... Um, we would consider this a vice rather than a virtue. And the answer is that God is the only, one, the only being for whom self-worship is a virtue. He is the source of life. He says, come to me, all you who are, are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus stood up at the feast and said, I am the, the fount of living water. Something like that. God is the creator and sustainer of all life. Um, Augustine said it best when he said that we are created for God and our hearts are restless until we rest in Him. We are created for God and our hearts are restless until we rest that, in Him. That's a good one to discuss because I feel restless despite resting in Him. Like I'm suspicious yeah. in the sense it's like we can't rest. Yeah. Because the more we know then it's a bigger battle. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we relate to that. But. Yeah. The, and that gets into, I mean, everything connects to everything else, right? Yeah. So we'll be here all night. But, I mean, we're, we're saved, but we're also being sanctified. Saved one, boom, right now. Just like that, you're saved. Before God, before the Holy Judge, you are holy and perfect. You don't have any debts to pay. Your, your, your credit cards are, are all zeros. Um, but now there's a process. You know, and you talk about that restlessness because we get a glimpse of, of heaven. But we still have, like Lazarus being raised from the dead, and, they said, and Jesus said, take off the grave clothes. You know, and we still have death on us. Not in us, we're alive. But we're still held in some senses by... Because anybody who commits a sin is slave to sin. So we're still slave to some of the sins that we've committed in the past. Some of the sins that have been committed against us too. And uh, I guess I'd encourage you, there is freedom. And there, you can keep going. You can keep going. All those things come off. And uh, I'm sure Jack would love to talk <coughs> later on about that. Um, j just recently... My wife and I found tremendous amounts of feeling through uh, caring for the heart ministries, and I'm not sure if that's approved here or whatever. Good, they're good, good Christian counselors, and there's other good, good Christian counselors as well. But we found tremendous layers of more rest <coughs> as as uh, new layers of, of freedom were found in Christ. One more question, and then we'll close. Make it an easy one. Yeah. What would so you, you touched basically on the fact of God's self-worship. What would happen if God placed something else above himself? What would happen if an Im immovable object collided with an unstoppable object? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a contradiction, you know, because it can't happen. Um, but I mean, it would be idolatry for him to do. It would be, I mean, it, it would be like a doctor coming to, to a place, um, you know, third world country, and he's got penicillin. 
And he's bothered by the fact that everybody treats him like somebody special because he can just heal people with an injection. And he says, you know what, guys, I, I'm feeling humble right now. I don't, I don't want you guys to treat me so special. I'm going to put this penicillin away and just be like you guys. It would be better for him to say, come to me. I am the source of life. And I will give you my little shots. And maybe that makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm just an ordinary guy and I love you. But come to me because I have life. And so it would be horrendously inappropriate for God not to worship himself. And not to direct us to worship him. Because to worship means to enjoy and to use and to elevate and to glorify. And that's what we were made to do. If humans don't glorify something, they have nothing to live for. Humans, wherever you look, they're glorifying sports, they're glorifying a brand, they're glorifying...